Saturday. Happy Saturday. We made it to the weekend. All right. We did it. We survived another week of our daily dystopia. It's the Sports Kiki Podcast, episode number 15. My name is Alex Reamer. As always, you can find us wherever out sports podcasts are available, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Wherever you get your podcasts, we're there, Sports Kiki, every Saturday. Thank you again for joining us. We have a great interview lined up for you this week with Matt Schulte, who is the Senior Manager of Special Events and Promotions for the Kansas City Royals. I think this is a great time to talk to Matt for two reasons. Number one, hmm, Senior Manager of Special Events and Promotions for a pro sports team. (laughs) The job usually involves planning events and promotions uh, for when people can gather in large groups, uh, considering there are no events and promotions right now, what's Matt doing? How are, pro, how are sports teams managing? So that is the first part of our conversation. And then in the second half, we talk about Matt's coming out story. He came out to us on Out Sports in 2014 in the midst of the Royals World Series run. Uh, the environment at the time was much different than it is even today. I mean, in the piece that Matt wrote with Sid Ziegler, our co-founder, he said he didn't think the Royals would be ready to throw a pride night. I mean, there was still a lot of doubt in his mind about that. And what happened last year, the Kansas City Royals threw their first ever pride night. They were slated to throw one this season as well. Um, That now only leaves two teams in Major League Baseball, the Yankees and Angels, who don't have, uh, who have not, who have yet to throw a pride night. So uh, I think a good conversation with Matt, you'll hear that momentarily. But first, I do just want to say this about the state of our world right now. I live in Massachusetts. Uh, our coronavirus stay-at-home ha- stay order is slated to expire Monday, this Monday, May 18th. Uh, but the governor, Charlie Baker, has been very vague about what exactly that means, what businesses will be allowed to reopen in phase one. So we don't know. We're completely up in the air there. I live in Boston, more specifically. Our mayor, Marty Walsh, Uh, said Friday he uh, expects to extend the stay-at-home order here past Monday. Uh, This on top of news in Los Angeles, of course. They're extending the stay-at-home order in L.A. County until July. Poor Sid, (laughs) who lives out there. Um, And I have to say this, you know, obviously you have to follow the public health advice of experienced public health officials, scientists, doctors, epidemiologists, people like Dr. Anthony Fauci, who have been studying infectious diseases for their entire career, for their entire lives and illustrious careers. I'm not going to listen to people who never even heard of a uh, you know a novel uh, you know a, 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 a virus like this, a coronavirus, until eight nine weeks ago. I'm, I'm not going to listen to Sean Hannity over Anthony Fauci. So no way. I, I am totally on to being slow and being precise and listening to the there's a scientific consensus on climate change there is a scientific consensus on this i'm not going to listen to one and not the other so let's get that out there right now in no way is any should any sane person without an overt political agenda be advocating for us to reopen and resume activities as normal but i do have to say stay at home cannot last forever and there's been a lot of reading on this in legitimate publications. I'm not quoting the Daily Caller or Breitbart at you. I read a great piece this week in The Atlantic titled Quarantine Fatigue is Real. It's by Julia Marcus, 
who is a professor of population medicine at Harvard Medical School. So pretty credentialed person. Harvard Medical School, by the way, uh, said they will hold remote classes this fall, joining with Cal State and saying they'll hold remote classes to the largest state public university system in the country. So the fallout only continues. But the point of that article is that stay-at-home had its place. We flattened the curve, and in most parts of the country, we did that successfully. And now we have to figure out how to start living a little bit within this pandemic. We need more guidance and Connecticut Senator Chris Murphy brought this up too this week in front of CDC officials when they testified Fauci and Redfield. You know, how do we resume safely? Because we can't just physically distance forever. We can't just stay at home. That's just not feasible. I mean, think of sex education, right? There is a broad consensus that abstinence and abstinence only is the wrong way to teach sex ed. So kids are going to have sex. So what do you do? You tell them the safest and less and least risky ways to have sex. Same thing here with the coronavirus. People are going to want to socialize. So how do we do that safely? Give us some sort of guidance. I mean, number one, it kills people's mental health. In a recent poll by the Kaiser Family Foundation, nearly half of Americans said the coronavirus pandemic has harmed their mental health. You know, never mind, 36 million jobless claims, domestic violence claims way up everywhere. Never mind all of those ramifications about keeping everything locked down hard for the extended future. But just... And on on the subject of human behavior and human nature, people are going to want to see each other. We are social beings. And if you continue to just insist abstinence only, or in this case, stay at home only, lockdown only, you're going to drive that behavior underground and people are going to be going blind to it. So what's safe? What's not? Do we need to wear a mask at all times? Do we not? We need firm direction on this and people will follow it if it means that they can start to phase back you look at going outside and going outdoors every weekend on social media there's hysterical tweets oh my god i went to my beach and people were running i can't believe that i went outside and people were sitting having lunch oh my god you're the reason why we're locked down well let's be a little smart and look at the studies one study out of china out of 1245 coronavirus cases Only two came from outdoors transmission. So what does that study tell you? It tells you outdoors transmission, probably pretty safe, especially if you're wearing a mask. So how do we do that? How do we start living a little bit within this pandemic? How do we protect our most vulnerable? One third of all U.S. deaths in the coronavirus occurred in in nursing homes. And in a lot of states, way higher than that. Here in Massachusetts, I believe it's north of 60%. So How do we protect our most vulnerable? How do we get what they need to them? And how do the rest of us start to live a little bit during this pandemic? Abstinence only cannot work. In the AIDS epidemic, they told Gabe, no sex. Well, that's not going to work. So how do you mitigate the risk? We need to start going more in that direction. And because ultimately healthy people are responsible for their own health. Again, vulnerable communities people who have to protect them, but healthy people, how do you start living a little bit within the pandemic? Because as folks in the New York Times have written, the Atlantic, it's just stay at home is not a feasible long-term solution. There needs to be additional steps taken. So 
That's been on my mind. I'm sure it's been on a lot of your minds. Every week we have our Out Sports Friday Night Zoom chats. That topic always comes up. So wanted to lay it out there. Coming up next, we have Matt Schulte. Great conversation about the return of Major League Baseball. And again, how in the world do you market a team when there are no events and there's no games going on? Uh, That's on the other side. Thanks for listening. And on the phone lines right now, welcome back to the show. We have Matt Schulte, who if you are a devout uh, Outsports reader and follower, you may know him. He came out uh, in a profile with us way back in 2014 when the Royals were making their World Series run. He is the Senior Manager of Special Events and Promotions for the Kansas City Royals. Uh, Matt, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. I mentioned you are the Senior Manager of Special Events and Promotions. How's work these days? <laughs> uh, it's been different. Um, interesting, to say the least. Um, yeah, right now we're hoping uh, baseball will get back here at some point this summer. Uh, but we've really spent, at least I have spent the last two months um, doing a lot of contingency planning, um, figuring out uh, if baseball will be back. And then if it is back, what does that look like? Are there you know, fans in the stands? or not. Um, And a lot of my job is comprised of having fans in the ballpark. Um, I do all the gate giveaway items like the bobbleheads, the t-shirts, the jerseys, stuff that you get when you walk in. Um, And then the special events that we do, um, like student night, family day, uh, retro nights, uh, girls night outs, our Hispanic heritage celebration, um, those sort of events. So um, both of those roles involve fans in the stands. Um, so we're trying to think of creative, um, outside-the-box ideas to um, still engage our fan base um, through this time. And then once we get uh, out to the other side, uh, what does that look like? And still uh, maintaining um, that engagement with our fan base. So um, it's been a lot of adjustments, but we're making it all work. And um, we're thankful that our fans are still with us. What are some of those uh, unique ideas that you're uh, coming up with, thinking about? Yeah, so um, traditionally, giveaway items have been given when you walk in the ballpark. Correct, Um, So we're looking at, um, you know, handing those out outside the ballpark in some fashion. Um, That's an idea that we float around, uh, whether it's um, within our parking lot, um, at a sponsor location, um, just randomly handing them out around town. Um, so we're looking at those ideas. We're looking at um, holding watch parties, uh, maybe holding events in our parking lot, um, you know, encouraging social distancing without a doubt. But um, we're doing a lot right now on social media. Our social media team has been more important than ever uh, these days, and they have yeah. been great. In terms what are some of the initiatives you've done there on social media? Yeah, yeah. So we've done uh, – our players have also been really receptive um, so we've done a lot of um, Q&A and quick hits with players uh, featuring their personalities. Uh, we've done cooking demonstrations with our chefs. Uh, we've replayed old uh, classic games on uh, Facebook. Um, and then um, doing a lot of kind of quick hit, um, creative elements, um, really kind of bringing some unique elements to social media, which is really cool and fun. Yeah, um, certainly. It really is about maintaining visibility, right? Without a doubt. 
yeah, I mean, um, especially during baseball season. And, and I do want to point out that we've also done a lot in the community as well. That's been another important area for us. Um, so we've partnered with Harvesters um, and really made food insecurity a big priority for us. Okay, um, great. So we've been, yeah, yeah, we've been at Harvesters. We've tried to raise money for Harvesters. Um, we've also partnered with uh, the University of Kansas Health System, which is our hospital partner. Um, getting out initiatives about um, slowing the spread of the virus. Um, we've also tried to honor healthcare workers. Um, we've had players deliver pizza to hospitals. Um, we've also set up a fund, uh, COVID fund, for all the seasonal employees, like the ushers and game day staff. Um, so our community uh, outreach has also been really important during this time. Yeah, and I was going to ask, too, because there was so much debate, especially when sports first shut down, about the social responsibility that professional sports organizations have to give back to their communities. I think the responsibility is way more than even your average corporation, which all benefit from certain tax incentives and tax breaks. But I think especially owning a sports team is almost like a public trust. I think the responsibility falls much higher on sports organizations and owners and ownership to give back. I was curious your thoughts on that and how that couples with what the Royals are doing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we are an entertainment property. Um, I know fans greatly value wins and losses, but for me, the most impactful work that we do um, are those community elements um, and giving back to the community, whether it's um, player engagement, um, raising money uh, for nonprofits, for community partners in the city. Um, I think those, um, elements are so important of what the Royals mean to Kansas City. Um, and it's that dual partnership between the fans and the Royals um, that really makes this all work. What's your, just wondering what your level of anxiety or concern right now is, not just the COVID situation, but the fact, you know, we all look at this through personal lens. You're the manager of special events and promotions. Obviously, can't have any of those until we can have large groups. Just kind of wondering where you are at right now. I'm trying to stay um, positive and optimistic um, and just trying to adjust and and still stay relevant, you know? Um, and so we're adjusting on the fly, creating, uh, trying to create new programs, trying to rethink how we do our strategies. Um, and again, trying to stay positive with all this. Um, and, and definitely without sports for the last couple of months, um, you really, you really miss it, and you really realize the impact that sports have um, in our everyday lives. So um, we're hopeful and positive that we can get all that back. Um, we're just going to have to rethink um, how things are done from an operational standpoint, marketing standpoint. Um, but we're, we're optimistic that, that fans will be back, players will be back. Um, sports are a huge relief um, to get outside of your daily life. So uh, we're hoping to have that back soon. It's just so interesting. And I do want to move on to your coming out story. But, you know, it, it's just so interesting where, you know, throughout events, promotions and professional sports have been done one way this entire time. Not that every, you know, everyone has their own spin and innovative tactics, but generally there's a playbook. I mean, now, you know, let's say you can't have full venues until there's a vaccine for this thing, right. which is maybe 12 months from now, right. 18 months from now. I mean, you really are looking at a prospect and I hate the phrase new normal cause it's so cliche, but right. I mean, we right. could not have a situation where 
sporting events as we know it don't come back until 2021, 2022. I mean, it's really just, I think, just changing the whole playbook on the fly. is That must be daunting. It is. Um, I, I was actually, I was on a call this morning about uh, masks. And, you know, I was joking that, you know, I know how to create a bobblehead like the back of my hand. Um, I love the world of bobbleheads, right. but I've known nothing about masks until a month ago. Um, so it was an informational call on learning about masks. And so it's just elements like that. I mean, PPE and learning about those elements. It's, um, you know, none of it that was taught at school or that you've learned or you have past experience on. So um, you try to kind of take one thing at a time, um, take deep breaths, think positive, know that we're all going through this. Um, we're all in the same boat together. Um, you can't really play a blame game. Um, it's just, um, going with the flow, making things work, um, staying positive. But, um, yeah, it really is learning things on the fly. What are your thoughts on the Sean Hannity proposal of eating a hot dog with your face mask on? I'm not sure if you saw his very kind demonstration <laughs> a few weeks ago, but uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I tell you, I do miss ballpark too, without a doubt. The atmosphere oh, of being at the stadium, you know, seeing and take me out to the ball game, having nachos and peanuts and all that, um, that's one element I miss. I miss everything about the Fenway Park experience except Sweet Caroline. It is the bane of my existence. <laughs> it is so lame and so awful. I miss everything except that. Um, I want to go to you, Matt. You came out to us in 2014. You wrote a story with our code founder, Sid Ziegler, during the Royals World Series run in 2014. What motivated you about that time to not just come out, but come out very publicly and write a, and write a feature story with us? Yeah, for me, it was the right time, and, and the Royals actually had a lot to do with that. Uh, we went through our uh, World Series run in 2014, um, and that really changed me, uh, not only being an employee, but just being an individual. Um, I got to spend a lot of time with family uh, during the postseason run. Um, you know, emotions were on high, um, all in positive ways, um, but it's really kind of a transformation of me, of, of learning about myself, figuring out myself. Um, and being comfortable with who I was. So after the Royals went through that postseason run in 2014, um, I, I kind of found out about Outsports. I had read articles on there, which was also really helpful, knowing that there are other people just like me that were going through similar thoughts and feelings. And so Sid and I had a conversation and thought it was the right time uh, for me to kind of come out. And I had struggled telling people I was gay, that was a hard thing for me to do of how to have that conversation. And, you know, sports are such a big part of my life. So to kind of combine the two, to have someone else kind of write my story and tell my story and then connect it to sports, just seemed like the perfect fit for me. So it seemed like the right time to do it. And so I was really happy with the article and, and received all positive comments afterwards. Now about the power of sports themselves, you're touching this a little bit, um, playing into your coming out because I was reading in the piece and it's something that has resonated with me too. You know, you joined a, what was it, a local softball league in the Kansas City area, mm -hmm. an LGBT league, and that really gave you the ability to see yourself as both a gay man and someone who also loves and works in sports. Right, right. Yeah, it, it kind of normalized it for me. And um, I, I kind of had made it a, an identity crisis as well of, of, the first thing I thought about with me is I'm gay, you know, and, and, and other people would think that same thing. And, and it's kind of, I've 
it's taken me a while to calm myself down in terms of that's just one aspect of me. Um, there's a bunch of elements of me, and one aspect is that I happen to like guys as well. Um, so that took time as well for me to kind of realize that, that um, I'm not Matt Schulte, the gay man. I'm Matt Schulte, a, a person, you know? And so um, that was one thing for me to get over, um, which took time. But, um, yeah, it, it really helped to know that there are others out there going through the similar things. And um, what's great about the piece that I did is um, the paying it forward aspect. So afterwards, I heard of other people that read my article, and that also helped them and put them at ease as well. And that's something I didn't really think about um, when I was doing the piece. But I'm glad that the article has also allowed it to pay it forward and, and help others down the road. Always, everybody that happens to to all of us. It happens yeah, to all right. of us, and it's and it's great. And right. you know, you, you hear from people, even if you hear from a, a couple every now and again. It really, you really make that visibility is so key. But I'm amazed, man. I mean, you went to college in New York, NYU. Like, you didn't want to just come out and be a wild gay man there. I mean, what, what, what about Kansas City? Gave you something that New York didn't. Come on. Yeah, I know. I often think back on that and I'm like, what was I thinking? What a missed doing? opportunity. I, I know, I know. Being a college student in New York um, and then um, really being a closeted gay um, in the gayest city. Um, but that was really, when I think about that, is, is how much of a struggle it was for me um, that I just was not comfortable. And that it was kind of around that time when I was in college in New York that I realized, um, you know, who I was and that I was gay and um, but I just wasn't comfortable. I didn't want to accept it. Um, and so kept it very internal. I was um, just didn't want to make it official and all that. And so um, when I came back to Kansas City to start working at the Royals, um, I explored gay life a little bit more uh, here, but also kept it quiet and internal. And then when I started to lie to people about where I was going, who I was with, I realized I didn't want to go down that path. Of just continuously lying all the time. And so it was that along with uh, the Royals run, um, all that kind of came together at once and realized um, I need to be true to myself. I, I never could even have imagined existing where I was starting to see men while living, you know, the quote unquote straight lie that much like you, no one really bought. I mean, my parents, I don't think were all that shocked once they thought about it a little bit when I told yeah. them, but I didn't do anything with guys until I came out. Like I always knew, um, but kind of like you, you know, I, I tried to in high school, you know, I went to prom with two lucky ladies, <laughs> but I just couldn't, <laughs> I, it just never worked. And then when I got to college, I accepted it and I just waited a couple years to come out. So I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's funny. I had, um, yeah, I mean, high school girlfriends as well and, and that sort of thing. And, and I told them later that I'm gay and they're like, oh, yeah, we know. Um, you, so, you, you know, like, do you're... anything with us. Right, right. Yeah. You weren't interested oh, in I that whole. You. Right. Yeah. right. You weren't, inter... you weren't <laughs> interested in that whole, you know, physical affection thing. Um, right, right. <laughs> so when you came out in 2014, at the time, there were a few openly gay sports executives. Uh, you said yourself you didn't think the Royals were ready to host a Pride Night in Kansas City. Um, what's your viewpoint on all that now? Yeah, and I have to give a special shout out to Billy Bean uh, here, without a doubt, um, that now works at Major League Baseball. Um, he was instrumental to, to me and the Royals 
in terms of coming out. It was uh, nice to have someone at the MLB level um, to kind of serve as my security blanket um, and umbrella. Um, and I think he might have been featured in the piece, but um, just knowing that it was okay from the MLB level. Um, and Billy has been to Kansas City a couple of times um, and also spoken to um, some staff um, at the Royals. And he's just been a great guidance for us in terms of um, not only me, but um, hosting our first Pride Night last year at the Royals and in terms of um, how to do it. And, um, and also happy to report that our Pride Night last year was a success. It went smoothly. Um, we planned on doing one again this year um, in June, but uh, we are unfortunately uh, postponing that to 2021 instead. But it uh, seems like we're, we're, we want to continue to do Pride Nights and uh, each year kind of uh, blow it out a little, little bit more. Um, and what are your feelings when the first Pride Night last year uh, took place just to see that unfold and I imagine helping in a lot of the promotion for it? Yeah, yeah. It was a full range of emotions <laughs> that day. Uh, somewhat of a hot mess. Um, it was excitement. It was nervousness. Um, it was relief. It was um, frantic. It was, it was all those emotions. Um, just because you don't know what to expect when you do something for the first time. Um, you know, it's just the full range. You didn't know if there were going to be protesters, if there's going to be excitement, if there was going to be what. Um, but you know what? It's just like any other night at the ballpark. Um, and so I think often mentally we just, you know, automatically go to the wrong place or the bad place um, or the extreme place. And um, it really was just like any other day at the ballpark. And it was uplifting. Um, talking to people that attended the Pride Night, uh, they were really happy to be there. Um, they felt supported. They felt loved. Um, so we got a lot of positive feedback. Um, so it, it all, it came, it went, it happened, and we moved on to the next day, but it was impactful without a doubt. Um, it seemed like um, a lot of people were excited to have the Royals um, inclusive and supportive, and for us knowing that um, all of our fans are welcome at the ballpark, uh, whoever they are, we appreciate their fandom, we support, we appreciate their support, and we really do want to send out that message that, you know, play ball means, um, means that to everybody, so. Right. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned it's just another another night, and that's true to to an extent. But you know, it is something special to see, you know, these yeah. these stars holding the pride flag, pride regalia. You know, that message of inclusivity. I mean, that's that wasn't always typical in the sports world, and that's why you know I think Pride nights are so special and more important than your regular promotion. It really sends a message that sports for everybody, which a lot of the LGBT community, you know, that's a message they've never heard. Yeah, and it was really cool last year. It, it connected well. We ha uh, Kansas City hosted the Gay Softball World Series. And so we held our Pride Night uh, during that two-week tournament. Um, and so we not only had people from Kansas City, but we had people from all over the country that were uh, here and at the game. And we sold out uh, the tickets. Um, so it was really kind of impactful to align those two. Um, and to have all these uh, gay and lesbian softball players in town uh, to be able to experience a ballpark or Pride Night, um, it's just all connected really well. Why do you think we still don't have an active openly gay player? 
That is a really good question. Um, and I struggle with that answer myself because um, I'm not quite sure. Um, yeah. Baseball does lend itself to a more conservative sport. Um, and I do think um, any team sport um, is a little bit more of a struggle than an individual sport. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I am a glass half full person in nature, and I do feel like baseball has done a lot in the last 10 years. I mean, most teams host a Pride Night. Um, I think there would be openness and acceptance um, if somebody did, um, but I know it's always hard to be the first person and the first one, and there's a lot of media attention that gets automatically tied to that. Um, so I, I remain positive that um, there will be somebody eventually when the time is right. And uh, again, Billy and his staff, I know, are working towards that. Uh, but the timing needs to be right. The person should feel comfortable to do so. Um, and, and there needs to be comfortable comfortness within the locker room itself. But um, I, I think we'll get there eventually. But baseball has, has made some strides in the last few years. Certainly from a corporate level, no doubt about it. Um, I mean, all the leagues have. When you say sports leagues, though, it really is about the men. I mean, WNBA, there are plenty of out players there. It's really us men. Right. We're forever behind. <laughs> yeah. It's, no, uh, it's really true. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's interesting. And, it, and, there, and, there, and, there's, and there's a lot of factors, certainly. My theory that I've started to really grab onto since I started without sports a few months ago is I really think, you know, the first openly gay active athlete in the four major leagues that, you know, who plays a, a full career as a openly gay player, I, I really think is going to be somebody just from college who came out in high school or in college and says, hey, like, you know, I'm gay. Like, they're already out They're just because young athletes continue to lead the way on all levels uh, for this issue. I agree. And that's been inspiring as well. But yeah, I thought about that. I think it's somebody that comes out maybe at the minor league level or the college level and then works their way up. Um, that's probably a more likely scenario in some frame, but um, it, it is inspiring to read all these articles of, um, uh, of people coming out in all these different sports. And it, it uh, definitely will translate into baseball here soon enough. So what's your, have you been watching any old games during this run or are you like, I already know what happens. So why would I do that? Yeah, it's actually really cool. <laughs> um, I, I know it, it's not the same when you know the uh, end result and that's for sure. But uh, yeah, on our local uh, broadcast partner, they've been re-airing the games from 2014 and 2015 uh, when we went to the world series both years. And for me, it's, because I mean I was thankful and lucky to be at all the home games um, in the stands but it's fun to now watch those games on TV where um, I was there physically instead so it's cool to to hear the crowd and to hear the commentary and to see the shots that they they got um, and watching them on TV instead so um, I've been reliving the 2015 World Series run uh, the last week or so, um, each night on TV. And it's been really fun. It really brings back all those emotions um, and how special that run was. But uh, it's nice to not have the anxiety and the stress when you know what the end result is going to be. That bullpen, they could sling it, man. Let me tell you, Greg Holland, all those guys, Renzo Kane in the outfield. That was a, quite yeah. a team. Quite a team. They were fun uh, to watch. They, they didn't have a, a true superstar. They really had that team mentality. 
really keep the line moving, uh, do your job. They never gave up. I mean, about every game was a comeback story of some form. Um, and then that bullpen was strong once they had the lead at the end. Uh, but they played hard every game, and they were they were a really fun team to watch. They were they were truly a championship team. Yes, and, and Yost was always on the precipice of making like a disastrous move, but it turned out, which was fun. Uh, Matt yeah. Schulte of the Royals. Matt, thanks for coming on. Stay safe, man. I uh, appreciate it, and uh, let's play ball here soon enough. So thank you all for listening to another edition of the Sports Kiki Podcast, and a big thanks, of course, to our guest, Matt Schulte, for taking the time and joining us. As always, if you have any, if you have any guest ideas, Dying to hear them. Hit me up on Twitter. Against my better judgment, my DMs are open. At AlexReamer1. My Twitter name, again, is at AlexReamer1. So long. We will talk to you then.